An historic event unlike any other. Actually, quite a bit like several others. An incredibly subjective look at the so-called best albums of a certain period, as picked by two guys who run a podcast. Louder Than Sound is proud to present a two-part primetime event. The top ten albums of 1970 to 1974. Part one, numbers ten through six. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Hello and welcome to Louder Than Sound, where we're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, and for the next two weeks, we are presenting you with an extravaganza of the best albums uh, that we think are from the years 1970 through 1974. So Why 1974, friends? It's because it's actually five years. I know it feels like it should be yeah. 1970, 1975, but if you count it on your fingers, you will find that's actually six years right there. And I think, actually, we should probably be doing this totally differently. We should be like 1967 through 1971 or whatever, because... <laughs> It's weird just to tick it over on the decades, but that's what we do. That's how I think. I don't know about you. Well, it's weird to pick any year and say this is the end of whatever for yeah. all music. You know, it's not like you're talking about the best punk albums from, I don't know, no. step next right. to 1982 or something. Right. The best Afro-Cuban albums. It is a different thing. Uh, but we hey, also want to... everybody, uh, I'm Charlie. Oh. This is Jake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 guys. <laughs> we just started talking there. I think, you know, I was supposed to do the intro and I just, I just didn't do it. I didn't introduce. You blew, it, you blew it. I didn't intro. But you know what? We're not starting over, and neither is this list. Chaz, I think you should get right into it for the number hey. your number ten album of nineteen seventy through nineteen seventy four. I'm gonna start things off actually with a quick disclaimer for all of our listeners at home. Uh oh. And that disclaimer is that this is super subjective. No, super it's not. No. super subjective. No, it's subjective. It's just one hundred percent personal opinions. No. And I because I and I'm saying this in particular because I'm embarrassed at how many white men are on this list. Hey, I was going to apologize for that, too. So let's just get it out of the way right away. And I have two major reasons why there are so many white men on this list. Yeah. Number one, white men gained the system for a really long time. They did. So there just are a lot more albums. By they were given they opportunities. opportunities. And because more of them were making albums, more of them are great albums. It's just, you know, it's the nature of the world. I'm sorry. It's awful. But it is. Yeah. Number two. You and I are white men, and since this is not ten intended in any way to be like a representative of all best albums forever, just our personal choices, right. it's probably not surprising that us as white men gravitate in general more towards albums by white men. And I just want to add, too, that the exposure that we were exposed to of music at the time was, for me anyway, was like classic rock radio. When I was growing up and into yep. um, high school in particular, I was a huge classic rock nerd. And let me tell you how much percentage of classic rock, especially from the 70s, is white men. Like, the soul and all that stuff that was permeating the late 60s was, was morphing into something else as well. And so, like, just go down the list, and it is, it's overwhelming, and it's, it's, it's alarming. Uh, I'll mm -hmm. say that. It's an alarming amount and of And I, voice. like, I don't know about you, but I, I purposely have really been trying to focus more and listening to more by uh, women and people of color, because I've been so much more, much more exposed to white men. But this is still my favorites as of right now. 
Yeah, but, you know, yeah, maybe uh, maybe ten years like, we'll have something in a different. week or something. But as of right now, here we go. All right. All right, ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I've been born ready. Um, we're also going to throw in some honorable mentions along the way. They didn't mm-hmm. make the top ten. Mm-hmm. They're unranked. They're just like also good ones we really like. They didn't quite make the top ten. So I'm going to start with one of those actually. And that one that I'm going to throw out there is Faust oh. from 1973, their fourth album called Faust 4. Mm-hmm. You know, I also want to just say we've just barely gotten started here, but Charlie and I are going to have different lists. I can tell. <laughs> it's going to be very different. <laughs> Faust. Be a lot of crop, a lot of crop rock. Out you know, they may all be white, but they're going to be different. Yeah. <laughs> Faust. Uh, Krautrock or, or Faust is very aggressive and purposely abrasive German Krautrock band. Sure. The first song is called Krautrock. Krautrock. It is simultaneously a parody of Krautrock music and one of its crowning achievements. Hey, Schneeba Schnitzel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the album that I'm actually picking for number 10, my number 10 choice is Tangerine Dream with Phaedra from oh, 1974. Wow. I try to theme my honors along with my actual picks. Um, so they're both German Krautrock bands, but they couldn't sound much more different tangerine dream is kind of ambient adjacent i'll say not entirely ambient but getting super close so adjacent um the first the whole the first song is an entire side for vinyl you know 17 minute long song or something. sure it is long all since instrumental tracks <laughs> the kind of stuff that i just love and jake just rolls his eyes you can't see it right now spinning i just passed out i rolled it my eyes so hard so it's not uh, that's why I put Andy and Jason. There's a lot going on, and there is like actual. It goes places and does things. Though they did soundtrack like a million movies, and it kind of shows. Mm-hmm. Okay. Over to you, Jake, for number ten. All right, my number ten. I'm going to give honorable mentions for each and every slot. I believe as you are, Chaz. Yeah, I am. Uh, my number ten honorable mention is Credence Clearwater Revival's Co- Uncle Cosmo's Factory, which happened to be a band that split between the late '60s and the early '70s before acrimoniously mm. breaking up. Um, that's the band's third huge hit album in less than one calendar year, which is something that will probably never be... Well, I don't know. There's like Ariana Grande or some of those people like releasing albums three per year, three per calendar year. I think Taylor Swift released two albums There you go. Year. See, okay, so maybe it is happening. Anyway, uh, this one features everyone's all-time favorite CCR song, including the dude from The Big Lebowski, do do do! Looking out my back door, just got back from Milano. Woo! Yeah. So why didn't it make my list? Because despite having some fantastic original songs, there's just a little bit too much bluesy chuglin on it. It just chugles along a little bit too much. And so for my real number ten, speaking of chuglin, Rod Stewart's "Never a Dull Moment," baby. Eat it, so Chaz. Remember that, remember that time, Jake, when you were rolling your eyes about Faust and Tangerine Dream? <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes about CCR and Rod Stewart. Right oh, man. Now. Oh, there's going to be so much eye rolling here then. Um, Rod Stewart made the list, man, and you can eat it. You can just eat it. <laughs> it's an earthy, mandolin-heavy, rockin' rock album. A uh, friend of the pod, Rod, represented a style of pop star that is basically gone from the culture and that he shared, not as well, with Emmylou Harris, the tasteful song interpreter. He, did, he himself didn't write great songs, at least back then, but he sure knew how to sing other people's real good. It's got some classics like Mama, You've Been On My Mind, which is a Bob Dylan song, um, and I think the all-time best version of that one. Um, Angel, which is a Jimi Hendrix song, and I'd Rather Go Blind, which is like a soul classic. 
Um, and I just want to uh, tell you that my favorite song on the album, speaking of, you know, whiteness and kind of thing, it's like a, it's like a little segment <laughs> I like, well, lot, it's not, get a lot whiter than Rod Stewart. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And I actually, this doesn't really have anything to do with his whiteness, but more like, uh, male chauvinism and just was what was okay in lyrical content back then. Um, even the blues and stuff like that. We've talked about this on that pod, on this podcast before. But my favorite sounding song on the album is one called uh, Lost Paraguayos. Um, it's undeniably catchy and fun, but with a cl- closer and frankly more enlightened listen, I found some semi-disturbing elements that probably came off as play- playful and cheeky back in the day, but now sound as if Rod may have been describing some semi-serious felonies. You know, maybe like uh, a little statutory um, oh, problems. Uh, oh. He's in he's in Paraguay. I don't know what the laws were, the rules were back then, but he definitely was messing around with a woman who was uh, much younger than him, and he was in his twenties. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you can tell me if that gets canceled or not if you ever look at the lyrics to that song, Chaz. And on that, I'm gonna go ahead and assume that it does. Yeah, hey. it's it's borderline. Why don't you do number nine instead? Before I get to number nine, my honorable mention in the number nine slot is Velvet Underground Loaded. Oh! We can actually agree on right That's there. coming up later. That's coming up later. So, I'm, I know I'm, I know you're supposed to like Velvet Underground and Nico best. Yeah, but I actually really like the self-titled a third album and Loaded better. You like Loaded better than better than uh, the Nico one? Yeah, I do. Okay, all right, all right. And I don't really know why. Hold. I mean, they're, they're actually less weird and more straightforward. Um, there's no John Cale, who I really like and who will be mentioned really, really in a little bit. Spoiler alert! Um, well, yeah, 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 spoiler alert. But, uh, uh, this, you know, they're tuneful and they're, and they're nice and I like them. Um, and as for my real number nine, a very close parallel because it's Lou Reed with Berlin, 1973. Oh, wow. Hey. I heard I heard Lou Reed was in the Velvet Underground. That's what I yeah, heard. Yeah, no, I mean it's a wild rumor out there. Yes. So everyone says that Transformers is best album, and I feel like I should agree with that because it was produced by David Bowie and Nick Ronson, two of my favorite people who ever existed in the history of the world. But uh, I actually like Berlin better, which is his follow up, and did not feature wow. Bowie or Ronson. Wow, I was wondering if some Lou Reed was going to make it. On oh, this it did. Album. It did, baby. This one's got some great cabaret stylings, pianos, and strings and such. Uh, apparently critics were not wild about it when it first came out presumably because it wasn't filthy new york rock <laughs> can it's we get a song banned from the radio please <laughs> can we get something banned from the radio for the love of pete but i i say to those critics from the early 70s who have long since changed their tune but i say to you now that uh there's still tons of references to drugs and sex and Absolutely. suicide and stuff so you know like what what's not to like what more do you want though i do have to i have to bring up lou reed uh, has a penchant for some awful rhymes occasionally. Yeah. Like, he just pulls these suckers out. I should have written down an example, but there, there's some real clunkers. He's not stuff. always he's not always the most wonderful lyricist. That's been always, no, that's always just, been true. Yeah, sometimes you listen to this and go, oh, dang, Lou, you, you could have done, anyone could have done better than that, anybody. But uh, the music's top-notch. Okay, great. So, Berlin. What were you for number, for number nine? All right, my number nine honorable mention is Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, and other associated... Mm-hmm love songs this contains the song layla which is just a all-time classic bell-bottom blues and a handful of other good ones including another hendrix song little wing great version and is by far the greatest thing that eric clapton has ever been a part of (laughs) so why didn't it make my list because you can you can actually hear these doofuses almost dying from multiple drug overdoses during one of their many many (laughs) blues chuglin sessions 
which they have many of. So, uh, you know, go look inside. Today's episode is brought to you by the word chewing. (laughs) Chewing and drugs. (laughs) It's the early 70s, baby. (laughs) They're back. (laughs) So if you go look at the inside cover of the LP um, and tell me who's got it worst in those picks, you can just, I don't even know who some of the people are. They just, they look like they're dying. Uh, So one of them are like way too tan. Like there's one guy who looks like he's been, he passed out in the sun for like, I don't know, 24 hours maybe. He looks <laughs> he looks terrible. Um, and it may have been the drugs, but whoever decided to follow Layla, which should have been the last song on the album, with the smooth, awful crooner stylings of a song called Thorn Tree in the Garden to close this album should have their album sequencing license revoked. So bad job by them. That's one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. And it follows <laughs> Layla. It's not like a bonus. It's not like a bonus track no, or something, is it? No, I have the I have the LP uh, on vinyl, and it is it's right there at the end. It like it was meant to be there. Terrible. Uh, so speaking of albums that heavily featured Dwayne Allman on blistering slide guitar, my real number nine album is the Allman Brothers' "Eat a Peach," which was unfortunately released after Dwayne had died in a horrific motorcycle accident at the age of twenty four. It's a mixture of recorded material with and without Dwayne intercut with live performances from the band's famed shows at the Fillmore East from the early 70s. I love this album mostly because it carries a feeling of joy and, like, happiness, which is not something that's actually that easy to uh, put onto a record, I found. So, like, songs like Ain't Wasting Time No More, Melissa, Blue Sky, and Little Martha are kind of about the open road, being young and carefree, and I realize I don't love a lot of albums that give me that feeling. Um, and I, I find it's harder to relate to happy music, and it's more of an accomplishment on the part of the artist than some of the more cloistered and darkly expressive albums that I appreciate. So good for you, mm-hmm. Allman Brothers, especially after Dwayne passed. That was that was rough. Tough times. Uh, but seriously, you know, just as a little bit of a of a you know of a con of the album, uh, this is the one with Mountain Jam. Do you know that song? That's Probably. The, that's the 30... This album got, got played a lot when we were kids. <laughs> that was a 33-minute song that's so long that it must fit on two sides of a double I was going to say, they wouldn't fit on one side. No, but guess what? More weird than that, they placed it on sides two and side four so that you can't just flip the record <laughs> to continue. you got to get up after your fifth joint that you've had just while listening <laughs> to that song, and you got to be expected to put the first record back in its sleeve, maybe jam it back in there, Maneuver the second LP out of there. Get it on the record player. Whoops, wrong side. Side four. Almond Brothers can't keep that up. Their <laughs> their fans can't do it. So um, I'm real sorry. It was sorry. their way of, uh, of making other fans experience the pain of their loss. Right. That's <laughs> that's right by putting this was, Mountain this Jam. Was, it was somewhat similar. <laughs> but if you took that one out and you just had a double LP, you have like a tremendous classic, which I think everyone just thinks. Who cares about Mountain Jam? They think of the album, you know, without having it on there. Uh, so anyway, it might have it might have climbed higher than nine on my list, but for now we're going number eight for you. Number eight, first of all, honorable mention. This is, you know, actually, I was looking at my list, Jake. I think you're gonna be kind of okay with with the rest of my list for this episode. Yeah, I've got kind of figured. Next episode, we'll mess things up again, but <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're doing well. Uh, my honorable mention is John Lennon's Imagine. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. So I great and one. I put, put the one I did because this is one that I, you know, I'd heard it, of course, but I only recently, for whatever reason, the last few months, I really got into it. Like, oh. it just you know, it just struck me. And I was like, hey, just in time for this great. list. 
is really great. And so this one wouldn't have made my list even a few months ago, but wow. now it does. Wow. Man. Controversial. I know. I'm like, I've been holding off until the, the fire, you know, goes out a little bit, I'd imagine, before revisiting a Plastic Ono Band. Oh, good one. They're both I, I listen to that one a lot. I like it, but I'm like, I want to, you know, I want to work my way with Imagine. And just you want to do it. Imagine well, what it I'll would go be back. like. And actually, then they just announced, you know, the big, like, deluxe box set thing of this, which I won't buy the seven-disc version or whatever. No. But I will buy the two-disc version of a Plastic Ono Band. Yeah, I probably will, too. I'll, I'll enjoy that. I have an old beat-up um, CD of that that's ready also, to Also, you know, go. you at one point suggested we do a top songs of this period. Mm-hmm. And I said no. Hard pass, because that just seems, that whole idea of best song seems absurd to me. You're such but a good. give me some truth would probably make my top ten. Give me some truth is in your top ten? Um, it, if I had a top ten, it would probably make the top ten. Wow. That wow. song just wow. kills it, Jake. Well, we did a best We did a best of this uh, for a mix CD just last Christmas. I told you, it's, just, it's, it's like since I made that list that, you know, I didn't make it. Wow. Okay. I know. I know. This is, just saying, Jake. This is like breaking news it's hot stuff <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying that no short haired yellow bellied son of tricky dicky is gonna mother up <laughs> and soft soap me with a pocket full of hope it's money for dope jake money for rope money for dope money for rope <laughs> the song just kills it anyway my actual pick for number eight which yeah. <laughs> is john kale's paris 1919 i can't believe that beat john lennon but john lennon didn't really okay go ahead whatever so that was my, when I said, you know, John Kale, spoiler alert, here it is, right here. Both named John, by the way, that's why it's the same. So the reason why they went together, both named John, I didn't even realize that, but yes, the reason why they went together is because John Kale's album was a, a recent one for me too within the last six or months or so, where I just like really, that was probably like uh, September, October sometime last year, I started listening to that a lot, I really liked that one a lot. Um, I listened to it once years ago and didn't really care. Listen to it again, yeah, about six months ago. Just loved it. And cared. And care. I care a lot now. <laughs> and it's interesting because John Cale, also formerly of the Velvet Underground, but yeah. only their first two albums. Right. And he was the one who doing all those, you know, crazy viola drones and stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, the stuff that's just going on in the background that makes the album so weird. Mm-hmm. When the rest of it wouldn't have been that weird. I don't know. It's the sound of um, BDSM. It's just the sound that you want to hear. <laughs> well, when you're yeah, engaged yeah, in such yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but then he went on into his solo career, and I don't know much about his later career. I'll admit I'm still early in my John Cale interest. Um, pretty much this one, and then Fear. They made it follow up to Paris 1919, which is also an amazing album. Because uh, he went on to make some really kind of lovely orchestral pop albums there. Yes. Like, there's a lot of, you know, there's some songs in Paris. I don't know how, how familiar are you with Paris 1919. Not, not much at all. Okay. All right. Well, this is one I would actually like recommend you you give a listen okay. to. I could do liking this one. I don't right. I don't throw out recommendations, you know. <laughs> Just willy nilly. Willy nilly here to you. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I know what's going on. No, I hear you. But there's some songs kind of reminiscent of like Eleanor Rigby, maybe. There's a couple tracks on there in that mode. And there's some really, it's just some really great, great music there. All right. Just real great music. I'm going to, I'm going to Apple Music right now and I'm going to put it in. I'm going to yeah, add it to my library. There. All right, well, I'm going to throw things over to you for number eight. All right, my number eight honorable mention. We're rolling through here. Yeah, we're rolling good. Uh, Honorable mention for me for number eight is the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and like every famous old bluegrass musician ever, just doesn't fit on the front cover. Um, The album Will the Circle Be Unbroken from Mm. 1972. We talked about this. This came up in conversation recently, I feel like. Yeah, I think On the show. Did it really? I think so. 
Mm. I could be wrong. It I might know. have just best. We it's, don't talk unless we're on podcasting, so it well, could have been just. And it's not like we're the host of the show and should remember something like that. <laughs> uh, this is a legendary album released um, that features music popularized no later than like 1932 or so. so yeah, big, yeah, yeah. This came it's out the big... either the Washington, in either the Washington oh, okay. episode or yep. the Roy Agoff episode. Good call. One of the two. Um, it's a major return for some of Bluegrass's Forgotten Legends, and I throw this one all the time on at home. Um, the only reason it's not on the list is because the real conversations that they recorded that happen in between the wonderful songs gets very tedious when you're throwing it on, especially on a record when you can't just, you know, when you can't just skip it. Like, they're interesting to hear the first time, but the fact that they're jammed in between every two or three songs... Um, oh, gets, so there's like conversations yeah it's like it's like the like old guys about. meeting the new guys you know be like mm. hey, Bob, you know, back in the, the fiddle playing back and yeah i like to tune to the open d and this kind of thing <laughs> it's like a bunch of hillbillies talking uh, and it's on the album um so they, it kind of obscures my enjoyment of all of the wonderful songs of which there's like 50 because those songs are all really short so speaking of wonderfully mostly super old songs the real number eight for me is Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace. The, hey. the monumental live album recorded by Aretha with Reverend James Cleveland and the Southern California Community Choir at the New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. Uh, this is on my list because although I've always had a fondness for hymns and spiritual music growing up as a Lutheran Christian, I don't really give gospel and spiritual music uh, much of time a day in my typical music listening routine. Mm -hmm. I like singing and playing at church now, and sometimes I really want to put on some gospel music on a Sunday or when I'm otherwise in the mood, but there's just not that many examples that I've been exposed to of just the right album for said mood. And this one uh, fills the void for me. The background music yeah, is amazing and tight. I know some of these songs from my childhood, uh, which helps. And Aretha, like, literally ascends to some of their spiritual plane at times. It's really... it's <laughs> she does. It's really awesome, and it's really intense and inspiring. Um, and it fills me with that spirit that I need sometimes. It's also uh, one of the few albums on my list that you just can't make fun of too much. It has a real gravitas and a purpose that aren't really funny, um, like Dwayne Allman's incredible sideburn chops. <laughs> Or that guy in Derek and Domino's was alarmingly tan and drunk, or high, or whatever. <laughs> like that guy. He's funny. Aretha, not so funny. Um, I also found it useful to add the layer of watching the long gestating Sidney Pollock documentary, or the movie about the documentary that came out in 2018. Um, and that's when you can really see Aretha going like someplace else, not on this earth, when she's singing and mm -hmm. playing piano. Um, and it added to the album experience for sure for me. So I got that on uh, vinyl as well. I paid like 25 bucks for it. It's worth every penny. Um, coincidentally, that's another album where side two, or what? what is it? Like side two doesn't follow side one, or you go from one to four or something. I don't know why they did that. I, I'll never <laughs> understand it. But it was kind yeah. of a thing. It was kind of a thing back then. I, do you know why? I, I actually don't know why. Well, I don't, I don't know why they went with an LP. I mean, like 45s was originally designed to be like dropped on. And so I don't know if there was some kind of like mechanism because mm. you know like you would have like a stack of them like there were there were record players designed to like, drop one record at a time. Maybe that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, like, so you could start with like side one and then you could skip over to like side three and then five. Maybe it was for like them all over and go back through them again. Maybe it was like for DJs or something. So it might be like that it was intended for that kind of stacking purposes. I never would have thought of that. I hey, know. I don't know. That's I my may, guess. I may or may not have learned something new today, and that's why. <laughs> 
You if should I'm do. Right, then if, you, if I'm right, you did. And if I'm wrong, you did not. <laughs> you're disseminating false information at this point. But whatever. Maybe. Maybe yeah. I am, but maybe I'm not. Hey, maybe or not I've learned it. Chaz, what's number seven for you? Hey, my honorable mention for number seven is The Beatles' Let It Be. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're going Let It Be. Oh. Let It Be. Well, that's their only album from the 70s, so. No, you know, Abbey, Abbey Road came out in 1970. Came out in 69, Jake. Come no, on. it didn't. It did it? It did, too. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Are you in trouble later? Oh, yeah, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I didn't put it. I gotta double check here, here, but I am pretty. Yeah, 69 September oh, 26th, 1969. All right, well, we'll get to that oh, when we Jake. get to that. Oh, Jake. <laughs> oh, no. Abbey Road's clearly better than Let It Be. Yeah. But Let It Be is from the 70s. Right. That, that much I know. Uh, I thought they were both from 1970. Wow. No, no. I now know. I'm learning something new for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. I, I can back it up this time. That Wikipedia article would never lie to me. Never, ever. Uh, so Let It Be, you know, obviously was contentious and was a, you know, fraught experience from all involved. But <laughs> yes. it came out of it still being like a really so, i mean it's a beatles album like you know late it's a beatles album it's still great exactly it's the what are you gonna do and uh i you know and i know there's also been a lot of talk about the phil specter stuff he threw on there but i like it okay i like it jake i'm just yeah. saying did you like, it's also like what did I you think of the what did you think of the stripped version when they did it without all that stuff? i never listened to that i never listened to it i should give it a listen yeah give it a listen i mean it's interesting yeah, yeah. it doesn't sound the same I'll, I'll say that i also feel like uh it, our our parents listened to a ton of beatles when we were kids and I find I appreciate much more the ones they didn't listen to as often. Yeah. Because I just can come at it in more fresh ears. It just doesn't, like... Like, the White Album was one that I, you know, discovered. And I'm probably, like, in college or something. But... And they just never listened to that one. So it all felt so new and fresh and, like, interesting. And Let It Be is one they didn't listen to a ton either. So that I feel like I liked it. Um, my, my small... It's a slight connection between this one and my actual number seven pick. And that connection is that uh, Across the Universe is on it. <laughs> and our next artist covered Across the Universe with the help of John Lennon yeah. and they murdered it together. They really did an awful job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the album we're talking about. Okay. Anyway, it's David Bowie <laughs> with Hunky Dory, 1971. Uh, yes. I he covered Across the Universe on Young, on Young Americans in 1975 with John Lennon. They did an awful job. Just it's the terrible. Wor- it's the worst officially released song by Bowie of the 70s in my personal opinion. Which is anyway, all that matters. All that matters. My opinion is all that matters on this Fine. episode. For your part. So, 1971, David Bowie, Hunky Dory. If you, uh, you know, by any chance listen to our other podcast, Boy vs. Dylan, which lasted for 64 sweet episodes and one bonus 65, episode, yeah! You might know that I like David Bowie. Now. Uh, Hunky Dory is his first undisputed, full-blown masterpiece. Um, it's probably Jake's favorite Bowie album. It's like one of the Bowie albums he owns. Yep. And that wouldn't be surprising at all. It contains classic songs like Changes, Oh You Pretty Things, and Life on Mars. It's a piano-driven classic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, featuring tributes to Lou Reed, Andy Warhol, and yes, Bob Dylan. Bobby D. Bringing it but together. It's a beautiful experience that uh, you just can't deny. I it's hear one you. of his best. It's and, a good uh, one. And it's great listening. Yep. All right, over to you, Jake. Number seven. I almost put that on my honorable mention. Uh, yeah, one. I was. I was wondering if it'd make the honorable. I didn't think it'd make the top ten. But I thought it might yeah. make the honorable. And then, just as an aside from your story about our parents listening to the Beatles, my our mother, my mother, our mother was here visiting me uh, for about a month recently, and I put on. I think I put on Abbey Road because I thought, hey, my mom likes the Beatles, you know, a mm-hmm. lot. Let's just put on Abbey Road. And she uh, she admitted to me that um, 
she was so mad at them for like four years in the in the late 60s for you know turning you know getting somewhat experimental and moving away from their tuneful period that she still like didn't listen to that music very often and i was like what wow. that must have been bad i guess that was the 50 late... year grudge right there yeah baby. exactly and i kicked her out of the house get out all right so my number seven uh, honorable mention is from toots and the maytals an album called Funky Kingston from 1973. Mm. So this honorable mention is an ode to the only reggae album and reggae music that I've ever really enjoyed, purely. I don't uh, really love reggae at all. In fact, it kind of annoys me. Uh, but Toots <laughs> what, is the man. How do you feel about aging white rocker 80s reggae? Well, that's number one. Uh, that that made number one on this list, even though it's not from the every 70s. every aging white rocker from the 70s <laughs> went on to make at least one 80s reggae album, or at least half of an 80s reggae album. Well, reggae. I feel real bad for reggae because that's what happened to it um, I know, in the 80s. Reggae. It's awful. It's just not your that's, fault, It's an actual like not indigenous art form um, from Jamaica. Um, and Toots, Toots didn't just go pure reggae. Like, he... He had a lot of like '50s kind of rock and roll and '60s soul, um, which bled its way in there, which which sort of set it apart for me. Um, and uh, it, and this music hasn't been, you know, either weirdly co-opted by '80s rock stars, but it has also not been weirdly co-opted by like white frat boys, like Bob Marley. <laughs> like Bob Marley for some, there's a Bob Marley poster in every frat in America, and I don't, I guess I don't understand why. But anyway. Uh -huh. Uh, why this didn't make my list is because it's reggae, and I usually despise it. But now, but that one's the one I like. So good. speaking of rootsy, sometimes fun music, and music that might be better enjoyed while enjoying a certain recreational and legal in my state drug, my real number seven <laughs> is the Grateful Dead's American Beauty. Oh, good old Grateful Dead. Um, I am not a full-blown deadhead by any strength, like uh, you know, stretch of the imagination. Just Dylan um, and the Dead is where, that's your real interest, I know. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, they made two, <laughs> exactly two good studio albums in their entire career. They were back-to-back, -back and they were both in 1970. Um, there's one called The Working Man's Dead, and then there's this one called American Beauty. This one came out second, but is paradoxically a little less fussed over than the other when they were desperate to be taken seriously and break through from the jammy, psychedelic rep that they had. So songs like Box of Have, Rain. Half, half. No, I mean like really psychedelic, like guitar freakouts for like four hours on acid, that kind of thing. You know, like mm. they, they, they wanted to make like real songs. They, they cut that down to two. They cut it down to two. Well, in their live shows, okay. But I'm talking, I'm talking <laughs> studio magic here, Chaz. I'm talking mm -hmm. getting in the mm -hmm. studio with your bandmates and making an album, like a real album with songs on it. That's if what they If you skip the step or do a bunch of drugs, then do the album. Yeah, there's plenty of drugs. But I think they cleaned up for one of these. I can't remember which one. Oh, good for them. Um, anyway, songs like Box of Rain, Friend of the Devil, Sugar Magnolia, Ripple, and even Truckin', which I didn't used to like all that much, are all Stone Cold classics. And we're now entering the territory with these albums that are so loaded that they're practically greatest hits collections in and of themselves. So American Beauty is like an old friend to me, so warm and acoustic and friendly, like a wool blanket that still has some of that sweet, sweet LSD dust on it. <laughs> you know that one time that we would, uh, would, nope, you don't, me neither. I'm sure it was awesome. Though. It's fine. Um, I also wanted to say that uh, while I was making this list, I, I, I knew that there would be no reason that a Grateful Dead album would be on your list. And it illuminated something about yours and mine's differing musical tastes. Yeah. Sort of uh, that came to me all of a sudden, even though I probably had thought of this before. Um, I had a really like years long kind of woolly 
hippie back to nature kind of a phase. I remember back in the day. You didn't day. smell very good that year. I, I didn't. Well, no, it was several years. I I think I smelled better or worse depending on what situation yeah, well, I was in. But I really like kind of this back to the land. You know, I still have mm-hmm. it. I still have it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cleaned up my act a little bit. But this mm-hmm. music is like. I mean, but now you're wearing like you know a V-neck sweater, so it's it's changed a little bit. It's got stripes on it. <laughs> Horizontal stripes. It's catching. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of it. I'm just saying, inside yeah. of how things have changed. Well, I'm supposed to be working right now, but I'm recording this podcast with you instead, so it's cool. Uh, and so I think you kind of had to have that mindset as a prerequisite for really enjoying the Grateful Dead, even mm-hmm. even not being a deadhead. And you never had that. So I just wanted to ask no, you be- before you move on. Is there any reason that you would ever have the occasion to give the Grateful Dead any sort of try? Would you ever like listen to? Oh no, no reason. Right? No, probably not. I mean, those two albums are good. They're classics. So it was interesting. You're talking about you know like epic length drug freakouts. Yeah. Like, I mean, this extri- this describes like Tangerine Dream could be considered probably a different drug, but you know. Yeah, probably a different jug. And the Grateful Dead were so synonymous in San Francisco with the actual birth of LSD. Like, when they started mm-hmm. making it, they were the band that was doing that. They do these crazy Daigle house parties, and they play for 12 hours in a row, and, mm-hmm. you know, cycle through this stuff, and, you know, the whole Ken Kesey and all that stuff was all wrapped up in them. So when they decided to make actual music and put it on an album and try to be popular, that was, that was like, oh good for you guys we can't remember <laughs> anything bloody freaking dog grateful dead all right yeah number six honorable mention and the number six slot is the who who's next oh wow yeah another that didn't one. make your list i was wondering no and that's another one that i could see making your honorable mention we'll see um it was not it was recently knocked up the top 10 by john kale it was at number 10. It was at number 10. Oh, into number my eight and it goodness. bumped it off the list. So, who's... It's a great album. And, again, my fictional top 10 list, Baba O'Reilly, baby. Oh, oh man. Oof. Let's just all agree. Let's all get together and hold hands and yeah. agree that Baba O'Reilly is the best song of 1970 to 1974. No, but it's close. Okay. It's not okay, the Well, best. let's do that anyway, even if you don't agree. You can. <laughs> let's get together right, and vote actual, my actual number six slot is another. I, this is why they're, they're together, is because they're both like big, giant, heavy hitters. Yeah. Um, well established everywhere. Is Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. 73. So this is probably, you know, this is one of the heaviest hitters on this list. One of the biggest. Yeah, it's a big, big, it's a big deal. You know, big, albums on here. Uh, at one point, it was considered my number one for this period, but yeah. it slipped through the years, as these things do. Yeah, it but it's happens. still fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk really briefly about uh, why Pink Floyd are so absurdly popular. Yeah, they're crazy popular. Like, they're so weird. They're so weird. <laughs> and, like, prog rock and... Well, okay, Jake. <laughs> according to a random Wikipedia article, because I do hardcore deep research, you know, as uh-huh. we know, uh-huh. they're the eighth best-selling music artist of all time. I believe that. I believe Number that. eight. Yeah. After, after the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, Elton John, Madonna... Led Zeppelin and apparent Rihanna, and just ahead of Rihanna? Eminem. Billy, yeah, I know. I was what? a little surprised that, that okay. she made the. You know, that she was well, number eight. I knew she was like her. a gigantic seller, but I didn't oh, know yeah, she was for like sure. number seven. She's a huge you know. star. And then Pink Floyd is just ahead of Eminem, Taylor Swift, and Mariah Carey. Just like, slotting right is, in what there. What is going on here? How did this happen? I don't really know. It's also not because they're also not one of those that have like fifty studio albums or something. So just by sheer numbers, they're they're making it happen. You know. And they haven't been truly popular except as a live act since 
like this period, like the late seventies, right? Like, like, the, wall, yeah, like, like the, wall? the wall, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's the last masterpiece, you know? Sure. 1979. I, I don't know. know. Yeah, I, there's, I, like this album is so weird. It's so weird. It is weird, but it's, I mean, it's this really weird. Album. It's brilliant. I, mean, I love it. Obviously, it's brilliant. But I like weird music. Well, you know, you know? My, my no one's ex- listening to Faust. No one's like, Hey, <laughs> let's all buy Faust albums and make them the top 10 best selling album of all time. Well, Pink they're Floyd, like, but Pink Floyd, they're like, Hey, this isn't as weird as Faust, but it's still really weird. Let's yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe. I guess it's it's so it's so um, like slipped into the culture that I don't even think it's weird yeah. anymore. But yeah, you're oh, right. Oh man, if you weird. listen to them, it's weird. Yeah, it's there's weird some album. there's some weirdness going on. It's very it's kind there's of there's like barely, you know there's very few money might be the exception. Although there's like weird sound effects in that. There is. Or it's cool. just like a straightforward song. You know, there's one where like there's a stop before you get to money. Like money is an isolated money. like single in the middle of it. But otherwise, it's all like going in and out. You know, it's all like. It's about like mental. It's about mental illness. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, exclusively about mental illness. Yeah, well, you know, my my recent evidence for this is that I have wanted to find Pink Floyd albums on vinyl. You know, that would be a cool yep. way to listen to my favorite ones. Yep. And they keep re-releasing these incredibly, um, no bonus tracks or anything. They just keep reissuing the vinyl records. Yeah. Like recently and they're all like $35 a piece but they don't add anything to them just I guess oh, yeah but they keep doing it it comes out like every one or two years they keep doing this so whatever I'm still look. I'm still great right. digging let's kick things over to uh to number six for you we're a little we're a little over budget over oh, the time. I don't care please okay. we're, we're doing all right please and this is our last one before we take a break so number well, six we have part two this part two Jake. well yeah I mean it's time to take a break between yeah. part one and part two Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. got it. Yeah. My number six honorable mention is The Kinks, Lola versus the Power Man of the Money mm. Go Round or something, whatever that whatever <laughs> that thing at the end there is. Lola, Lola versus the Power Man, basically. Um, this is one of my favorite songs of the entire 70s, uh, Strangers, and is a super solid, enjoyable listen, up to and including the sly trans anthem Lola. So why is it not on my list? Because concept albums bitching about how much it sucks to be a rock star or be on an unscrupulous record label uh, just don't do it for me for some reason. <laughs> it's I don't, strange. I don't know why. Because I don't deny at all that the Kinks or any other band from that period or even now get screwed all the time by their sort of uh, corporate champions. Um, and I don't want this to read like I'm on the side of these monolithic music corporations at all. But for whatever hearing concept albums about it, like, kind of annoys me. And it kind of happens over and over again, and I just get a little annoyed him talking about the number one singles going gold, like the Who did it too with the Who sell out. Anyway, uh, I like that. Was there ever a part two, Jake? Uh, No, there was not. Part one was all they needed. That's a great album. Uh, Speaking of truculent, unpredictable, and brilliant white guys, my real (laughs) number six is Neil Young's "After the Gold Rush." So this is not actually his most famous album from this period. That would be Harvest, which had a number one hit on it and sold like a million copies in like a year. It was like a real, actual big hit. But that one features two songs that I always skip, and they're both overwrought piano songs that feature expensive and ill-fitting orchestral parks parts. Mm-hmm. So on Harvest, like a man needs a maid is just—it's just awful. Get get it right <laughs> out of here. Just kick that one right off. There's another one, too. I don't even remember what it is. Um, But After the uh, Gold Rush was the immediate predecessor and thankfully keeps things more homegrown and a little bit more natural sounding while still rocking out. Uh, The main big rocker is Southern Man, 
which sparked a hilarious and somewhat apocryphal song blood feud between him and Leonard Skinnerd. Do you know about that? <laughs> no, I don't. So Leonard Skinnerd wrote uh, uh, Sweet Home Alabama, and then, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Neil Young wrote Southern Man about Leonard Skinner talking about how they loved being Southern. And it's pretty like, it's pretty, it's pretty dishy. Like it's pretty, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of a sick burn. They're like, you know, but then Leonard Skinner wrote Sweet Home Alabama. Um, and then they were like, we don't need Southern man like you around anyhow, or something like that about Neil Young. And then Neil Young wrote oh, another man. song going back at them, but apparently it was all in good fun. So that's why, oh, it's, that's why it's not actually a blood feud. But anyway, God. the rest of this album is toned down and has lovely acoustic songs with great vocal harmonies. Um, it's very charming and listenable and presents a version of our friend Neil uh, that is sweet and naive and young and that would never really exist again after the success of Harvest. Um, it was right after that he drove into his so-called ditch period where he, he, he kind of like... Uh, speaking of drugs and alcohol, like some of his bandmates yep. died. And Last he, weekend. Yeah, he went right into the ditch with some really excellent albums, but they were dark, man. And this is not dark. Uh, the Bangers Alert is uh, for this one is After the Gold Rush, Only Love Can Break Your Heart, and Don't Let It Bring You Down. And that is my number six. And Chaz, we're going to take a little break here until next week. We are. Until next week when we're going to do part two of this episode the extravaganza which will cover the exact same time period <laughs> we've already talked about 10 albums a total of 20 sweet sweet albums from yeah. the 70s from 1970 1974 we're gonna hit you with 20 more Boom. including which are even better in general oh, uh, so, so much we're going better five up to our number ones yeah whoa <laughs> oh we'll uh hold on to your hats folks <laughs> put on a hat and then hold on to it yeah We'll talk at you next time for Louder Than Sound.